With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm your host, Andy Mitt. I am joined tonight by two guests. Uh, we have his first appearance here on the podcast. Uh, it's Derek Knoll, better known as Dnoll 5 on the site. And then I also have Grad with me as well. How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good. Fantastic. All right. So uh, whether you actually got to watch the whole game or not, I'm sure both of you guys have heard about, you know, the big news to come out of the game, which was the, the Baker Mayfield versus Kansas controversy. Um, I, I kind of want to get your guys' general thoughts on it first, and then we'll get into a little bit more of the details. You know, how ridiculous is it that that is what we're talking about coming out of that game? We'll go ahead and start with you, Derek. Um, well, it's better than losing by 100. <laughs> Maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I just don't know what the point of it is. I mean, what are you trying to prove? This is, you're trying to intimidate the best player in college football for some reason. You're trying to, I mean, to me, that just seems like it would just motivate this guy a little bit more. I mean, I, I just don't know what you're trying to get out of it. I, some tough guy thing. I, like I said, why are we talking about it? Why is it a thing? I, I just don't get it really. Uh, it obviously didn't work. I mean, I don't know. I, <laughs> I just, I read about it. I, I, I saw, you know, kind of what it looked like. And I thought, has this ever happened before? Why would anybody do this? I mean, this is a, a team that's battling to go to the top four, right? Against a team that's the worst team in history. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I, what are you trying to do? You're Kansas. This is Oklahoma. I mean, South Dakota state didn't come in and be like, I'm not going to shake, you know, Devonte's hand or whatever it is. If they do that, I, because there's no point. It's stupid. Yeah, for, for a little bit of context, you know, um, Baker Mayfield has had quite a checkered past with guys off the field, um, kind of extracurricular things like that. But I was looking into past, all of his past incidents. There's nothing even remotely related to Kansas. So, yeah, it, I definitely agree. It doesn't make sense. Why did Kansas decide, you know, to make yeah, the thing? Right now, I can't find a single thing that would justify doing something like this, really. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Any thoughts, Grant? Yeah. Um, you know, and I think this is pretty well documented from my comments on the site, but what I just don't get, and, and kind of to, to echo uh, Dino's point, I don't get why Kansas is doing this. And, and the biggest reason why I don't understand it is our best chance to beat someone in football or not even beat, you know, to, to – stay competitive with someone in football is to have them completely overlook us. And, you know, every time we've either beaten someone in the past couple of years, which is obviously very, very, very rare. I mean, it's pretty much just Texas 
uh, since Beatty came to town, or you, we kept it close to someone, it, it usually was kind of the same recipe. A team came into Lawrence, so it's almost always in Lawrence. Team came into Lawrence, you know, was kind of sleepwalking through the game, didn't take us seriously, committed a few turnovers, played really sloppy. All the games that we've had that have been close, or the Texas game we won, it's the same thing. The team came in, they completely overlooked Kansas. They just walked into Lawrence expecting a cakewalk, and all of a sudden we get a few breaks, we get a few turnovers, and we have a ball game. So if that's the best chance you have to beat someone, is to have them completely overlook you, why, why are you motivating them before the game starts? You know, go out there, shake his hand, whatever, and, and, and just get on with the game. I mean, that's, you know, for starters, that, that's just what I don't understand. And, and my big question is, does David Beatty and the coaching staff know about this before the game? If this yeah, I was wondering that same thing. Yeah, they I mean, it, 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 it Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the quotes from from Joe Deneen, who was the only guy that came into the media room to actually talk afterward of all the captains that were out there, and he essentially said that it was him and Wise and Armstrong that were just talking right before they went out there and they decided that this is what they were going to do. And the reason they gave for it was to show that, you know, this is a team that wasn't just going to lie down and take it. Um, you know, <laughs> when he explains it that way, you know, it's the first real time that I've, that I've wondered about, you know, it's like Deneen and Wise and Armstrong to not realize one, how bad that looks to just go to not, you know, shake hands, when there's no bad blood previously between you and this guy, there's, you know, you're really not a competitive team that has a real, you know, strong, um, you know, strong attitude to show in this case. There's just, there's just no reason for it. All it does is make them look like they're being petty, make them look like they just don't care anymore. Cause, cause really that's what, it, you know, I was watching it and I watched it live and essentially my immediate thought when I looked at it was, oh, well, these guys really just don't care. Like, they're not participating in the, in the opening stuff. They're just standing there. Uh, you know, they don't seem like they're paying attention, and it's really, really stupid to not shake the hands of your opponent. You know, especially – I mean, like, I, I could understand if this was a Missouri game, you know, if we were still playing Missouri, or even if, like, this was, this, this was a K-State game and, and something had happened and they were upset with, with the guy that was over there, or if there was any kind of history – with Baker Mayfield and Kansas specifically, but there's just, there just isn't, there's no reason to be disrespectful to your opponent in a game like this when, you know, there's really nothing on the line for Kansas other than hoping to win on senior day. Um, but that's not enough to really, you know, throw common courtesy out the window, especially when you've got a team in Oklahoma, you know, and a, a specific player that's never done anything to your team specifically. Yeah, I mean, I agree. <laughs> I agree with that 100%. If these three dudes just walked out there and said, hey, man, let's do this, I mean, you're throwing your whole team under the bus right there, aren't you? I mean, you're just kind of saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. Maybe it'll be this great thing that somehow translates to not getting blown away at the half or something. But, I mean, unless that's a whole team consensus thing, I think I'd consult a few other dudes and say, do we want to piss off the best player in our conference right now uh, who has, you know, no motivation really to beat us because it should be a cakewalk for him, but a whole lot of motivation for the national team for those guys, you know? I give them any more. And now they're in the spotlight again, and Kansas is in the spotlight again for stupid reasons. I just want to be in the spotlight for winning a football game. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> 
someday. It'll, maybe that will happen at some point, and we all have to be ready, right? <laughs> no, it's not going to happen this weekend either, right? And then we'll have to think about it for another nine months, and that'll be cool. And then David Beatty will come back, and there'll be some sort of hot seat thing that happens in August, and they'll win a game against the crappiest opponent on their schedule, then they'll get blown away by a Mac team, and then he'll get fired, and Bowen will take over for five seconds, and then... You know what? As long as Zinger's not the guy to, to decide who takes over, I think I'll be okay with that, though. That's, I mean, it's gotten to that point, but that is really – the only hope I have for this program is that when it all inevitably blows up next year, that Zinger is not the guy to get named the replacement. And that's sad. <laughs> yeah, to me, to me, this is just another thing in a long, very, very, very long list of reasons to get rid of this coaching staff. You know, it's, it's like I said on the site, it's one thing that you have the worst P5 team in America, and I don't think it's remotely close. And now we have guys that act like jerks on top of it. Why? You know, I don't want, it's bad enough that our, our university is represented by this atrocity of the football team. We have to have people making national headlines for acts before the game starts. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's upsetting. It's ridiculous. It's just another example, though, of, you know, Beatty does not have control of this locker room anymore. The guys obviously are not respecting his leadership because if they did, this is not something that they would have talked about amongst themselves without saying anything about it to Beatty. Whether, whether you know, they knew he was going to shut it down or not, if they, if they respected the head coach enough, um, you know, to really take what he was saying and to take his lessons to heart – they would not have done this in the way that they did. They may have still done something, but they would not have done it in this fashion because it makes the coach look stupid. It makes the players look like they just don't care. And it looks bad on everybody. And that's like the one thing that they can't do at this point is, you know, these guys that are the leaders of this team that are the captains cannot make the team look worse because of something that's off the field in this case. And these guys were all seniors or no, there was a, no, I believe they're all juniors except for Deneen, isn't that right? Or it's Wise and Armstrong, who I believe are both juniors. Yeah, Deneen's a senior. They are juniors. Right. Yeah. I mean, the senior has nothing to gain out of it. Maybe, I mean, I don't want to think of it as some sort of inside coup or something to, to make the coaching staff look bad to get things moving in a faster direction here. But if there really is no respect in the locker room, if there really is no regard for what Beatty says, if nobody's bought into whatever it is he's trying to coach, who knows? I mean, I don't want to talk conspiracy theory here because it's just a bunch of college football players trying to act tough is probably what it all winds up being, or at least that's what they're saying, right? But, man, it's just it doesn't do Kansas football any good. They just look like a bunch of clowns. Yeah, and, you know, um, in, in David Beatty's press conference afterwards, uh, he actually essentially, I think, made it look worse. Uh, the, the quote that, that ESPN um, got from him, you know, he says, I'm proud of our guys for getting to a point and not just we're not going to take it anymore. You're going to stick your feet in the ground and you're going to defend your grass. I think we've got to display it better than that, obviously, but I get it. I understand where they're coming from. And then, you know, in the first, I think the first instance of him actually taking responsibility for a failing, um, you know, this is something I've talked about in the last few podcasts, and I can't believe I'm actually reading this. He says, I've got to do a better job as their coach, maybe teaching them how to manage that a little bit better. 
It wasn't a really strong statement of him failing at something, but, you know, he's, he's at least acknowledging that he did not, you know, he's not handling it correctly as a coach if they go out and do that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think it's kind of ridiculous, the, you know, them saying essentially they were trying to motivate their guys. That's a horrible way to do it. It's really disrespectful to your opponent, and there's really no place for that in college sports. Uh, all right, any other thoughts about that? Um, I did want to talk a little bit about the game, but, but did you guys have any other thoughts about that whole con- controversy there? I was just going to say what, you know, if, if what you're saying is true, and this is the first time he's Beatty that is essentially holding himself accountable. I mean, is he in a is he in a position now where he knows that he's got to start saying different things? Does he have to start acting differently instead of you know? I mean, the team stinks. They have gotten worse, it seems, in the last couple of years. I mean, they're not getting better. That's for sure. There's no signs of progress. So quit telling us that there's signs of progress. I mean, I I prefer honesty over anything. And I mean, I just. You know, the natural skeptic in me wonders why in the world he would be questioning, you know, his own strategies and everything else and flat out saying maybe I'm wrong about it or whatever now. Why Why now? Is it is it grass for your lifetime now or, or what? That's my last thought on it. It's just, I want the guy gone, so I don't really care one way or the other, I guess. But I just want to know what his motivation is. Why is he all of a sudden coming out, you know, saying these things? Like, basically, you said he said the opposite the whole time this year. Now he's saying, now he's telling it like it is, like what we've been thinking, maybe. Yeah, I don't, I don't even think he's really gotten to that point where he's really, you know, being brutally honest about the program. I just, I, I do think the fact that everybody, like every major news outlet that covers the Jayhawks specifically, has had some editorial or some piece come out that kind of hints at the fact that everybody is under the impression that, you know, there needs to be major changes in the administration. Um, and, and in the coaching staff. So I think it's, they're kind of at the point where they have to acknowledge it, whether they want to or not. Um, but he didn't really go very far towards, you know, what, what we were saying last week. Um, last week I said, you know, the only way I see him surviving is if he comes out and essentially does a, you know, a full confessional and takes responsibility for everything going on and, you know, pledging to fix it and talking about specific steps they're going to take to do that. He didn't get anywhere near that um, in, in, in his statement. So, you know, I, I'm not really optimistic it's going to happen. I'm guessing after, you know, after we lose um, against Oklahoma State, because I just don't see any way we keep that one competitive, especially with it on the road. Um, you know, I, I'm expecting him to be his usual surly self, not really saying too much afterwards. We're going to get an end-of-season kind of wrap-up press conference where he's going to focus mainly on being optimistic about, you know, all the stuff that they're planning on doing over the spring. Um, and, you know, just kind of trying to pump the sunshine back into the program to get everybody back on his side. And I, I just – I really hope that it doesn't work, um, you know, because that's kind of the worst thing that could happen is everybody, you know, oh, well, we got to the end. There's no need to do anything now because, you know, there's no games left. So let's let him go ahead and, you know, raise our spirits again and get everybody optimistic for next year and pretend like nothing ever happened. So, unfortunately, I think that's where we're headed. I really hope it's not, though. Grad, any final thoughts? The only, I mean, I think you guys summed it up well. The only thing I'd say is, you guys ever think a Mark Mangino player would do that? Absolutely. <laughs> and if they did, if they did, can you imagine Mangino's reaction? It, it would, it, the the Pendleton, you know, hot dogging rant, it, it'd be twenty times more fiery. I mean, it, you you you, you got to have discipline. You, 
you know, I can't even imagine a, a white player. I can maybe imagine a gill player doing it because, you know, but it, it's just, and I get, you know, there's, there's varying degrees of it. Um, my Mangino obviously was a little too much and he paid for that in the end. Um, but at the same time, I mean, player coach, disciplinary, whatever it is. I mean, there's, there's gotta be a fine line and, and obviously this, it was crossed here. So that's, that's my final thought. Yeah, the funny thing is you, you bring up Mangino. I was actually looking on Twitter earlier today, um, you know, and, and someone was talking about – they were responding to Keegan, I believe. Um, let's see. There was, a, well, there was a few people that were basically saying, you know, um, you know Mark, Mark, Mark Mangino being our last great coach and, you know, the, the competitive fire that he had and things like that. And someone – uh, actually said, do, do people forget the key you lost its last seven games with Mangino as coach? And in typical Mark Mangino fashion, he actually responded to that and said, I sure remember. <laughs> you know, the fact that he, you know, is still, um, I mean, he, you know, he still remembers the time that he spent here fondly, except for the very end of it, which was not only being, you know, pushed out by Lou Perkins, but that horrible seven-game losing streak that they had at the end of that season. I mean, that, that is something that he still remembers, something that he is still, you know, fighting through, and uh, even as he remembers all the good times that he had here. And, you know, that is the one thing that I can honestly say about Mangino that I haven't been able to say about a coach we've had since, is that, you know, he, is ex- he was extremely competitive, and the results mattered for him. Everyone else was trying to, you know, hold on to a job or make themselves look good or, you know, trying to do something with the program other than make sure that it was winning as much as possible. Um, that's the kind of coach that we need at this point. And I don't, I don't think Beatty's going to get there because of his positive attitude. You know, he, it's too easy for him to brush off the losses. Um, it's that, you know, I, I know it affects him because you can see his demeanor afterwards. But the fact that he can immediately jump back in and start pumping that sunshine again, uh, it's just it's not the right kind of attitude that we need to bring the accountability of the program that we need. All right, before I jump back in, Mancino, Mancino responded to he quote tweeted a, a Jesse Newell story about the uh, about the snub at the uh, coin toss, and his his uh, remark was, "What kind of strategy is that?" Yes, that's all he, that's all he said. So, <laughs> no, I cannot imagine Mancino if that would have happened to his players. I would like to watch the reaction, but I can't imagine it. I can't imagine they would do it. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and talk just quickly about the game. Um, I don't want to get into it too much, obviously, because it was pretty bad. But the first half, actually, and, and I mentioned this in our in our recap that we had, um, you know, that going into, like, there was like a minute and a half left in in the second quarter, and Kansas was getting the ball back on a punt. They were only down 14-3, to but Oklahoma had only gained a total of about 110 yards. Um, the defense played really, really well. Seven of, seven of the points that Oklahoma had at that point came off of an a interception that was thrown by Carter Stanley. Just a really bad throw on his part. So, I mean, the, the defense was keeping the team in the game. They, you know, they were doing really, really well. And then all of a sudden everything just fell apart. The, the offense went three and out, actually losing yards before punting. And then we had two horrible defensive penalties by Hassan defense um, that really just let Oklahoma drive down and get a quick touchdown before the half. But what I really want to talk about, though, was, you know, did you – for those of you guys that actually got to watch the game, because I, I don't think you said you got to watch it very closely, Derek. Um, no, I had to listen to some of it on the radio. Um, that was 
was pretty excruciating. Yeah, yeah, but it, so in in terms of just from what you were able to gather from the way that they played in the first half, do you, I mean, do you think it was actual improvement by the defense before they finally just gave out and then Oklahoma finally found their legs and were able to drive down, or was there something else going on there? Like maybe the strategy did work and kind of threw Baker Mayfield off for a little bit of time before he was able to get him get himself righted. Um, um, I mean, well, my opinion is that it was windy. My opinion that it was windy. It was windy outside. Uh, <laughs> Oklahoma had to go into the in that first quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and uh, who knows? That might have affected things. You know, a team getting not coming out with uh, all cylinders firing because of some adverse weather conditions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's what I could pick up. I listened. To, I actually did listen to the first half on the radio and didn't uh, get a chance to you know, take too much stock of it after that was over. But uh, they kept mentioning that and how the defense was fired up. And then the offense went out, I think, on the first drive, went three and out and gained like a yard. And then they punted with the wind less than when Oklahoma punted into the wind, um, net punt average or whatever it is. And, you know, after that, you know, now 10 minutes has expired. you know, seven to nothing or something. And I know Mayfield had to scramble out of one play where it was a fourth down. They went for it. He had to scramble like mad, almost got knocked uh, down a few times and then uh, tossed a 30-yard or so on completion to, to score their first touchdown. I think that's right. Um, something close to that. So, right. yeah, they came out and they did some things. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not an expert on, the, on defensive football via what Brian Haney has to say. So, um I'm going to have to come ahead and say they're not really improving. Greg, you want to jump in? Yeah, I sadly watched the entire game. I know, uh, me too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just because I was like, oh, wow, we're on TV. I, I didn't even know we were on TV, and all of a sudden I was like, hey, Kansas is on. Um, the, the biggest, I mean, the biggest takeaway, especially early on, was it's just, it's just absolutely comical the missed opportunities that our team had. I mean, we basically had a team that was just offering us points, and we couldn't even take advantage of it. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it, it's, it's basic things. I mean, you know, like, like Derek just said, the first Oklahoma touchdown, it's fourth and five. We've stopped them three plays in a row. The defense is playing well. We literally have Mayfield sacked. If you just make the tackle on him, the drive's over. And instead, we don't tackle him. And, you know, he hits the guy that's wide open, which, of course, by then someone's going to be wide open because, you know, he's had like 12 seconds to throw the ball, and the guy just, you know, jogs in 30 yards for a touchdown. Well, and it wasn't even that. That that, that particular play, like when he started running over to the sideline, every single player dropped who they were supposed to be covering and started running at him. You had 11 guys that were converging to one side of the field, one tiny spot, and he's just standing over there with people still like, you know, four or five yards away from him on the sideline, you know, just waiting for someone to come open because everybody else is running at him. And so, you know, he he catches that ball, and there's nobody within 10 yards of the receiver, and he can just pick his way through the guys that are even halfway paying attention and get that touchdown. It was was absolutely a horrible thing to watch, just how – how bad everybody fell apart on that play. Yeah, he's yeah. after that. I would have liked to hear Bob Davis, to be honest, on a play like that. Because, you know, Haney's kind of like, oh, God, that's it. There's the chance. We had a chance to do something, turn him over, get some positive impact, and then back. 
and you know, having not seen it, it, it sounded as bad as what you just said. And maybe it might have sounded worse, actually. I mean, it was there was dejection in his dejection and in uh, David Lawrence's voice seemed pretty typical of Kansas football to allow that to happen from my perspective of driving around in my car. But man, that might have changed things. I mean, it wouldn't have changed the outcome, of course, but it it might have changed things. I mean, they got a pretty undeserved touchdown. Well, there was, I mean, there was, there was a lot of missed opportunities. I mean, you, you, you go through, you know, especially like the first quarter, maybe in the first half. I mean, you, you basically, that play should have been dead. You know, you, you make the tackle, you, you stay home. You know, there's, there's seven, and it's fourth down. So that's, you know, it, it's not an exaggeration to say that you save seven points by making that play. Literally, it was fourth down. So right there, that's seven points. Um, and then, uh, KU's down seven nothing. They they get a turnover. They get down to the one yard line on a pass interference call. And on first and goal from the one yard line, we line up in the shotgun and our center snaps it over the quarterback's head. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. So and, and of course of course we settle for a field goal. I mean, by the time we're back to the twelve, we're not going to score now. There's so there's four points right there. So we're we're up to what? Eleven. That's an eleven point swing right there on like the first two drives of the game. And then later, when the game was still pretty close and Oklahoma had the ball deep in their own territory, Mayfield got flustered and threw just an awful pass that hit one of our defensive backs right in the hand, like around like kind of the KU 25, 30-yard line. Literally hit our guy in the hand. So he couldn't come up with a pick. And, and not only did it hit him in the hand, there, there wasn't an OU receiver within like 10, 15 yards of the guy. Yeah, that, I, I that mean, was a pick six all the way. Yeah, I, I mean, even if we're being even if we're being conservative, let, we can call that three. We're still up to we're still up to fourteen points that we have that we've left on the table in, in just the first half alone. And and there's other things too. There's there's receivers dropping passes that hit them in the hand. Um, one of Stanley's picks, uh, the the one that was really really you know when we were kind of deep in our own territory. Um, he may have thrown the ball a little hard, but still, you know, he hit he hit fair literally in the hands. He couldn't make the catch. He got picked off. Uh, you know, it's just I, I, I'd say honestly, you could say that KU left 20, uh, 20 points out there in the first half alone, and you're you're honestly not exaggerating. And you know, is KU going to win the game? Most likely not, obviously. But but still, I mean, you're talking the difference between maybe putting a little pressure on them, Mayfield you know, going crazy for whatever reason, you know, maybe he starts to press and he throws a couple more picks, you know, maybe something crazy happens. Maybe our guys have a reason to believe and don't fold up shop, you know, in the third quarter, like they obviously did. Who knows what happens, but when you're KU, you just, you cannot leave, you know, you have to take advantage of these opportunities. It's, it's just insane in the game where the, the, the opponent is literally just trying to hand you points and you're just consistently not taking advantage of it. I mean, I, being in school from 2004 to 2008, I mean, I probably watched nearly every minute of a team that was coached by Mark Mangino at Kansas. I don't know if I can recall one time a center ever snapped the ball over a quarterback's head. I mean, if it happened, it's just that's just a prime example. There's just there's no discipline, there's no execution. Guys aren't carrying out their assignments, and when we do have chances to take advantage of something, it's first and goal from the one yard line, and you snap it over the quarterback's head. I mean, is that not the most Kansas football play in the history of Kansas football? It's yeah, just, and at this point, it's 
it's comical. It, all you can all you can do is, is just laugh. I mean, what else are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, and, and I think part of that was schematic too, because you know they they went to the Wildcat, and Khalil Herbert, I believe, was was the the quarterback on that play um, as running back, and he, I believe, he gives up about six to seven inches on on Carter Stanley. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, on, on on Carter Stanley. So you know, I, I think that may have been part of it too. It's like why why do you need to go to those sort of quick plays? When you're at first and goal at the one, you have a guy in Khalil Harbor who has shown the ability to, to pick up a few yards at a time against this Oklahoma line so far. Um, you know, I don't think they ran the ball nearly enough in that game. Um, they, were, they were trying to get the big play when they were still in the game. And then when they got to the point where they were, you know, on the precipice of getting out of the game completely, they went ultra conservative and pretended like they were, you know, nursing a, a four-point lead. Um, you know, they, they had the, the missed field goal to open up the second half, which was just a real, I mean, it was a, it was a 39 yard field goal. attempt. It, it should have been easily made and he just completely missed it. You know, they have another time they get, uh, the, the next drive that they got, they got out to their 48 and I believe it was fourth and one. Uh, I'm trying to get to it right now. Oh no, I'm sorry. It was, it was fourth and, oh, that's not the right one. Here we go. Third and one at the KU 48, um, you know, and they had a chance to go for it there. They didn't go for it. They ended up punting. Um, you know, they just, they had time after time where it's like, you know, if you really think you legitimately have a shot to win this game, you have to go for it. You have to capitalize on opportunities. And they just, they just wouldn't do it. Um, you know, it's, it's another failing of the coaching staff in calling a game, realizing the situations they're at, and realizing what they have to do if they want to give themselves an opportunity. Um, all right. Do you guys have any, anything else you want to say about the game, or are we ready to move on to something else? Yeah, I just wanted to say one more thing, that he's pining for those Mangino days. I went to school in the uh, Terry Allen days, and when they were winning four games, we thought it was the end of the world. And, like, this was, I, I would love now, to have right? teams back here right now. I mean, at least the guy had a game plan. At least at least his guys went out there and seemingly gave a crap about what they were doing, you know? At least it wasn't a national embarrassment left, you know, week in and week out, left and right all the time. So I, I don't have anything, you know, specific to say about the game, but, uh, man, we don't – I think we would take four wins every year right now. I mean, it's, it just seems so far-fetched. You don't, you don't want to know what I would do right now if it could result in us getting four four wins a year in football. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to give anybody um, any reason to come after you, Grad, for if you were to actually put that out there for people. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll just go ahead and leave it at that. <laughs> let's let's uh, go ahead and move on. Actually, the the other topic I really want to talk about tonight would be the basketball team. Obviously, um, you know they since our last podcast they had a game against South Dakota State where they completely destroyed them. Um, I was a little shocked at how well they played that game. Um, you know, and and other thing, obviously, this was the first uh, game that was on the Jayhawks television network since the news came out that KMCI would be covering all of the games um, that, you know, were, were not being broadcast to everybody locally. 
So um, there you go. I believe you actually had the opportunity to go ahead and watch that game, even though it was on, you know, a random cable network. Um, how, how much of the game did you actually catch? I watched that whole game. Um, awesome. We, we, uh, we don't have any cable here at the house, uh, doing everything streaming and whatever. So, you know, I get those ESPN3 games, and for some reason – uh, I was getting those uh, blacked-out games a couple seasons ago. The last two I haven't. So didn't get a chance to see any of those preseason uh, games against Forhays or whatever. But, yeah, just flipped the Channel 38 uh, here in KC and watched that game and uh, really paid attention more to the first half than the second. To be honest, by the time the second half rolled around, the beer also had started rolling around a little bit. So Not only that, but they were already so far ahead at that point. It was like, uh, what's the point? So Yeah, but – B looked great right off the bat, you know, and this is one of those teams where, I don't know, maybe just hitting a couple of those early shots is really going to make the difference. You know, it's all in their head. I don't know. B looked really good. and uh, Azubuki, I really like, man. I, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but, you know, he was huffing and puffing, but he was still moving up and down that court with pretty good pace for a huge dude, so. Uh, pretty impressed with that first half, and like I said, the second half, KU won that by five or something. Um, right. I stopped really paying close attention to what was going on. So uh, I'm just glad I get to watch these next couple games here from the comfort of my own couch. Don't have to go out and sit in a bar and watch it, you know, if you don't want to. It's harder to pay attention in those situations anyways. I find that I don't really remember exactly as much as happens as when I'm sitting on my couch, I can really focus in on what's going on. So that's going to be good. That's a really good deal. I don't know why they didn't come up with that a long time ago. I mean, it seems like a good thing to have people in the Kansas City area where your biggest group of, you know, graduates and, and fans, for that matter, live to be able to watch the game at their house. I don't know. It seems like logic. And finally, they're coming up with logical things. So Yeah, I think also, too, though, is like games on there, too, from the ads I was seeing. So that's pretty cool, too. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I think that Spectrum finally was getting enough grief directly, um, you know, for not having it available for a large portion of the of the Kansas City area that they decided to work a deal out. Um, because really, this this wasn't KU that was working this deal out. This was this was a lot more of Spectrum actually working with KMCI to make sure that it happened. Um, obviously, KU has to sign off on that because it's their games that are being carried. But I, I definitely wouldn't give the credit for this development to the athletic department or anything like that because uh, I don't want yeah, that's to be catered into, you know, well, right. But then also, too, you know, once they make the deal with Spectrum, Spectrum is really the one that has to be willing to change the terms of the contract because it doesn't do them any good to allow other, you know, their own subscribers to be able to watch it on an over-the-air network. Um, you know, and, and that was kind of one of the reasons they did it was an incentive to get them to sign up for Spectrum. Uh, because all those KU fans that wanted to watch the game, that would be the only way to get every single game that they had. So, Did they just field enough complaints, do you think, just that they said, ah, man, okay, let's just do this? Because Eventually, yeah, it usually comes to that point. So, um, I don't know a single person that's going to cable or switch their cable package for three extra games. You know, when you know the bar down the street has it or you know that, you know, something. I, it just seems – oh, no. It's one of those weird <laughs> Uh, so, all right. So more more on the game, though. Um, you know, I, I I have to agree. I was really happy to see Svee come out so strong, and and I really think that there there was a, a noticeable difference in his game compared to the Kentucky game, and it wasn't just due to the level of competition. I think 
he really seemed to embrace the role of kind of being the go-to guy, being the guy that was going to um, be the big spark for the team. And, and it was pretty clear early that he knew that was going to be his role. I, I don't know that Bill Self would ever actually say that that's what they, you know, decided to do, but it, it almost seems like, you know, he has been christened by the team as the guy that they're going to try to run things through most of the time. Um, you know, going into the year, Devontae Graham was kind of the de facto leader of this team, uh, the guy that everybody expected was going to be doing a lot of the scoring or creating all the opportunities for everyone else. And that's just not really the way it's played out. I, I kind of alluded to this earlier before the season started that I, I, I was under the impression that Devontae was going to try to stay in his facilitating role as opposed to, you know, trying to become the main scorer. Um, you know, he only had eight points in this game. He went two for seven from the, from the, from field goal, or so he was two of seven on field goals, two of six from three point range. He only took one shot inside the arc um, that he wasn't fouled on. I'm not sure how many times he actually got fouled, but you know, really, I mean, what has come down to now at this point is that Graham has slipped back into his role of, you know, being a guy that helps other guys get their shots and, the, and, and, and get their points. Um, so Svee and then Vic has come on real strong. Newman has not been anywhere near, I think, the, the level of what we expected for him coming in. Um, there's obviously a lot of time for all that to change. But it, was, was there anyone, and, and Grad, I'll go ahead and jump to you first on this one. Was, was there anybody in this game that really surprised you, either of how well they played or, you know, how, how poorly their, their line showed up? I think I think the biggest thing is it's encouraging to see Azubuki continue to, you know, just absolutely dominate, you know, pretty much whoever he's gone against. You know, first game, it was kind of like, okay, um, in this game, too, it's a little bit of, okay, you know, who's he facing? But, you know, South Dakota State actually had, you know, some post players, a couple of them that had legitimate size, um, you know, including that one guy who's, the, the, you know, an NBA prospect. I mean, and I think one of the guys that was guarding him a lot of the game was like, Six nine, you know, like two seventy five, or, or you know, he's a big guy. So, you know, it, it's kind of it's establishing more and more that, you know, apart from maybe when 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 we face Texas and and one or two other teams that have you know some legit size and athleticism in the post, I just don't know really who's going to match up with him. And yeah, granted, there's probably going to be some games where you know he might pick up you know a ticky tack foul here and there, and you know we obviously don't have great depth behind them, but. You know, it's it's been a few years since KU's really had a legitimate difference maker at center. I mean, we had some guys like, you know, Landon was obviously, you know, a, a good center and, and was fine. And, you know, some other guys that were kind of more, you know, role players like Trailer and people like that. But, um, you know, obviously since uh, Embiid got hurt, um, and Bach did a pretty good job stepping in. But it looks like now we, again, have that guy you know, at the center position that just – Offense and defense is just an absolute nightmare for other teams to deal with. Um, I, I, he's, 19, he's 19 of 21 from the floor this season. I mean, he's, he's, he's missed two shots. It, it, I mean, a lot of them, granted, have been dunked. But, and I honestly, I, I almost may be more impressed with his defense at this point. I mean, he, he's hedging really well. He knows when to help. Uh, he's protecting the rim. He's done a pretty good job of avoiding fouls. He did a great job of that in the Kentucky game. I mean, we needed him out there for every minute he played. I think he played like 35, 36 minutes. So, you know, guys like Graham and, and the rest of the team, I mean, they're, they're mostly finished finished products at this point. I mean, it, it's nice to see playing well and, and Vince playing well. But, you know, I, 
I wasn't as worried with those guys. I mean, we, they're, they're veterans. They played here for several years. We, we kind of know what we're going to get out of them. But, you know, a guy like Doug, I mean, that's just it, – it's just amazing because you can't help but get excited over the fact that he might get better and better and better. I mean, he still only played, like, what, maybe eight or nine games of college basketball? I think he got hurt after, like, the sixth or seventh game last year, and, and then he missed the rest of the season. So, um, I mean, it looks like the sky's the limit for him. And, you know, we get to March, and if we do get Preston back and, and he's starting to get things together and Azubuki's still, you know, just destroying opponents, we're going to have, you know, a really, really scary front court. And you got that surrounded by, you know, a really, really experienced backcourt that, you know, can get red hot from three. Uh, that can defend. It's uh, it's encouraging for sure. I think my only other comment. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was gonna say my only probably final comment on this basketball game was Marcus Garrett. I'm I'm sort of looking at his stat line here, and he kind of fills up the stat line in weird ways, you know. And he's he's a guy that I didn't really expect much from. I don't know about you two, but you know he yeah he was only one for five from the floor, but. Uh, Seven rebounds, four assists, four steals, go along with those four points. Um, he's a guy that can come in and defensively do some things, you know, that, that mixes mixes guys up, I think. They, he He's just kind of – I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be a guy that can come in and be a glue guy sort of if you just need a stop. I, I know he was he was late in the game in that Kentucky game when they needed to get a Luki out of there because uh, free throw shooting and whatever. But – He's he's impressed me in a lot of different ways without having to do any scoring really because I think like Brad said you know if Azubuki can keep never missing and then you've got Graham and Mikhailuk and Vic and Newman and guys that can really hit threes and drive the lane and play some unselfish basketball boy you add another guy in there that's just kind of a motor and 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 it's in the right place at the right time I mean I know it's South Dakota State and everything but that's still pretty impressive seven rebounds four assists four steals. I mean, he's doing it on both sides of the ball and, and, and you know, sacrificing <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Garrett, I think, well, you know, we've we've actually talked about this a couple of times on previous episodes. The Garrett was a guy that we were expecting to probably be down at, you know, number seven or eight in the rotation just because he was a true freshman. Um, you know, the only thing he was probably going to be able to bring was, you know, good defense. Um, and so he would fill in late in games or, you know, if one of the guys needed a spell or we needed a lockdown defense, uh, a, a lockdown defensive play late, late in the game. Uh, but, I mean, he's he's been on the floor. I'm trying to look up minute totals. But, I mean, you know, just looking at the three games we've had so far, he's been on the floor just as much as all the regular starters. Um I think he's number four on the team for minutes played so far this season, which, again, only three games, so it's not like we can, you know, take huge trends out of it. But he had 30, min- you know, he had 30 minutes in this last game, um, which uh, the only person who had more than him was Devontae. He had, I believe he had 30 minutes in the game against Kentucky, um, you know, and, and there was a couple guys that had 32 and a couple that had 31 in that game. Um, or maybe I'm thinking of the, the, the Tennessee State game, but there was another one where he had a bunch of minutes. And it's not like he sat out of the other game. You know, he was still playing quite a bit. Um, in fact, it was, it was I think, the Kentucky game that he was in there for, I believe, like 22 minutes or something like that. Uh, so, I mean, it's not like he's been sitting on the bench a lot. You know, he's, he's actually been able to go ahead and get in there and contribute. 
which is very unusual for a true freshman, especially a true freshman who's not a big man, you know, on a team that really needs that that depth or that uh that yeah that that depth down low. So I was really surprised to see that. I think the thing that that sticks out to me the most was the fact that Clay Young had 18 minutes in that game. Um, and now a lot of that was because of foul trouble that we had for uh, for Mitch Lightfoot. You know, he only played seven minutes, got five fouls, only scored two points, and only had three rebounds. So Lightfoot, I think, is, you know, I, I had said before the year that I thought he was going to be the X factor on this team, that he needed to, to play his way onto the court for this team to be super successful. But with Garrett coming on strong, um, you know, and then Clay Young being able to fill in really well as a walk-on um, and, you know, kind of fill that depth and, and eat those fouls and, and take up those minutes. Um, you know, I don't think Lightfoot's quite as important as, as I thought he was going to be. Um, and the fact that we haven't had Preston either, I mean, that's that's huge for this team. We are running with only three big men, essentially. We have Azubuke, Lightfoot, and Clay Young. And Lightfoot's not putting in very many minutes. I think he had eight minutes in the Kentucky game, seven minutes in this game. Uh, and then I may be off on the exact minutes, but he didn't play very much in the in the Kentucky game either. Um, Clay Young is filled in really big as a walk-on. I, I think whoever gets back first between Silvio D'Souza, you know, being able to be eligible for December or if Preston gets back before him, whichever one of those guys is able to get on the floor first, I think it's going to be able to, to absorb a lot of those big man minutes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Preston still has a really good shot to, to contribute to this team but he is going to have to get back on the floor soon for that to happen. I think we're just at a point of desperation with the big guys that we need somebody out there and whoever can get there first and actually show they can stay on the court is going to get that, you know, eight spot in our rotation. And actually I take that back. It's not even the eight spot. It would be the seventh spot in the rotation because we got the five starters uh, and then we got Marcus Garrett as really the only other consistent guy that we expected to be in there. And so, uh, yeah, so then Clay Young right now is basically number seven because you can't really count Lightfoot. So, all right, any, any other thoughts about the game or or looking forward at all? No, not really. I, you know, I'm just looking forward. They're playing an 0 and 4 team next, so should be uh, a good opportunity to see some of these uh, these guys that you're talking about. Maybe even Clay Young. I just don't want it to be another one of those situations where Preston never comes back. And we ask the what if question, kind of like how Connor Tehan was starting for that 2012 team and Ben McLemore was sitting there ineligible. It's just, what if Ben McLemore would have been playing? You know, I don't want to play that game. So, But positives here in these small games uh, against little teams um, to where those guys can get some confidence, get some minutes, and, and feel uh, and contribute, you know. That's that's about it for me. I'm looking forward to, to Texas Southern next, I think, on Tuesday. So Right. Um, so Tuesday we yeah. have Texas Southern. Friday we have Oakland. And then I believe the the 28th, which would be next Tuesday, I think that's Toledo that we have, um, leading up to our you know match down in Miami against Syracuse, uh, which right. would be on on December 2nd. So those are the next four we have to look forward to. Um, I haven't actually said this yet here on the podcast. We were talking about it before. This is actually going to be our only episode of the podcast, I believe, for this week. Um, there is a small chance I may decide to put something out Friday. It'd kind of just be me talking about what's coming up. Um, but I, I believe that this is probably going to be the only full episode that we have. So, um, you know, coming up for this weekend, then we have, we have those, uh, you know, Texas Southern on, on Tuesday. Um, and then we have obviously Oakland on Friday. 
so that will take us into the weekend for those for for the basketball team, um, and then for the football team. Obviously, we have Oklahoma State this weekend. Um, so, any any thoughts on what's coming up? I mean, I, I know we kind of got done talking about football, but does anyone have any thoughts about that Oklahoma State game? Is there any chance that we do anything at all that makes us not embarrassed to be Kansas fans? No chance. Nope. Yeah, unfortunately, I think I agree with you. I, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'll be reaching out to the guys like I usually do from our, from the uh, Cowboys but, uh, to kind of talk about the game a little bit, kind of do one last hurrah for football, I guess. But uh, not that I'm too excited about it. I'm not expecting us to to really be able to do anything. Um, Oklahoma State is going to need that game, I believe. If they, or no, they lost to Kansas State, so I believe they're actually out of the race now for the Big Twelve Championship. So. Um, you know, we, we, we would have had even less of a chance if they had managed to get that comeback against Kansas State because I think they would have been fired up, ready to go. Um, but, you know, uh, not that we really have too much of a chance anyway. Um, I, you know, I'd like to see Deneen have a really big game to finish out his career. I think he has a shot of latching on to an NFL roster somewhere, probably as an undrafted free agent. Um, so we can have another another Kansas guy that's kind of hanging around the league a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I'm not really expecting much from anybody in that game. So, All right. Um, I think that's about it. Did any of you guys have anything you wanted to talk about? I know you guys are uh, – Brad, I, I know you're our, our hot take master. Do you have a hot take you want to share with us? Kind of put you on the it's spot. Not really, it's not really a hot take, but, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to say is um, – you know, even though Texas Southern is 0-4, um, I think they'll be. Uh, I think they may actually give us a challenge. Um, they're 0-4, but they've they've played four like legit teams so far. Um, their opening game was against Gonzaga. Uh, their second game was against Washington State. They only lost that one by two. I mean, granted, Washington State isn't good, but you know, it's still a P5 team. Uh, third game was against Ohio State, and then their fourth game, you know, which is I find super interesting, was against Syracuse. Uh, you know, who obviously we have coming up here in a couple weeks. Um, they, lost, they lost to Syracuse by 13, but, you know, it, it was kind of a game where, you know, they're, I think they were only down by like six or seven at halftime. Uh, and they, they kind of stayed stayed with the Orange for a while. Um, I, I don't know if we really have a good idea how good Syracuse is this year. I, I don't think they're that great. Um, but it'll it'll be really be interesting to see how we do, um, you know, while Texas Southern's own four, you know, they, they played four – you know, legit school so far. So I don't know if they'll be super intimidated by us as much as, you know, maybe some other non-P5 uh, teams that'll that'll face us in the non-con. Um, it'll really be interesting to see, too, how we do against them because it could be, a, you know, kind of an indicator how we'll match up with Syracuse as well. So just found that interesting that we have a, a common opponent and that they've, um, you know, they've already hit some, some decent teams so far, although I think it bears mentioning that both Ohio State and Gonzaga really beat the crap out of them so uh yeah obviously a game that we should we should win pretty comfortably but uh it'll be interesting to see how we match up with them and may give us a good indicator how we'll uh, match up with Syracuse as well yeah yeah that that should be good I I think I have a hot take for you I think my hot take is going to be that um Clay Young is going to average 10 points a game over the course of the entire season um just based off of what's going on and he's going to be a legitimate contributor to this team as a walk-on. So, 
I'm sweating from that hot take. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have thought myself crazy to even think about that at the beginning of the year. But, you know, just seeing the way that our rotation down low, I mean, you know, again, he's one of three big men that has, you know, played for this team. And the other guy, Mitch Lightfoot, hasn't been able to stay on the court because of foul trouble. So, it's, I mean, it's not realistic to think that Azubuke is going to be able to play 35 minutes every single game. Uh, and it's also not realistic to think that we're going to have stretches of the game where we can play five guards, um, especially when we get into Big 12 play. So, um, you know, unless, unless Silvio D'Souza comes in and is immediately able to contribute um, or Preston gets back and doesn't have any other problems or have problems getting reintegrated into the team, you know, I think it's going to be almost out of necessity that Clay Young's going to have to play significant minutes for us and is actually going to have to, you know, contribute and, and be able to play and, and, you know, help with the offense instead of just being a body out there. So probably the best crash, co- crash course in basketball that he can get being thrown into this situation now. So, All right. Let's go ahead and wrap up with just one final thing. Um, this is going to be our, our Thanksgiving episode. We definitely won't have another episode come up before Thanksgiving. So uh, it's kind of an, an homage to, to the holiday here. Um, I'll give you guys each a chance to just let it, let everybody out there on Rock Chalk Talk know uh, one thing that you're thankful for as it relates to either, well, as, as it relates to two Kansas sports. So, um, Derek, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, let's see. Thankful. Guess I got to be thankful for Bill Self. I'm going to pick something. Um, I know it's probably generic and simple, but. Uh, the man has won 13 consecutive Big 12 titles. 14th could be on the way. I know they're talking about how that uh, that ranks historically, but to me it's just an unbelievable, ridiculous, insane I – mean, you can't even put words to it. So uh, to be brief, I'm um, thankful that Bill Self is here, and I hope he stays here forever. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And that's not to say that Bill Self is perfect with everything. Obviously, we've had – you know, legitimate reasons to criticize some of his decisions in certain cases. But, you know, if, if I can't think of a guy that I would rather have running this program um, at this point, you know, there's other guys that have been successful. Um, but in terms of, you know, a guy that just meshes well with the Kansas culture um, and is, can still put a quality product out on the, on the court. Uh, yeah. I, I definitely wouldn't want anyone other than Bill Self at this point. So Greg. I'll I'll try to find something uh, positive about football. <laughs> See if I can do it. Um, you know, honestly, and this may sound kind of weird, but I, I'm just I'm legitimately thankful that our fans, um, the media covering our team, et cetera, is finally starting to call out our football staff. Um, and I, I know that sounds kind of mean, but I mean. Just, you know, last year, uh, the Texas win seemed to kind of just erase the fact that we were just horrible most of the season. And and then all of a sudden, you know, we come to this year and, you know, early on, so many people were saying, oh, give them time. No one loves Kansas more than Beatty and Bowen and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm thankful the fact that that tide is finally changing. And, you know, I've, I've made my, you know, issues that I have with some of the columnists uh, <laughs> that cover KU, you know, pretty pretty well documented. But, you know, I, I'm glad that people are finally saying, you know, we as a university don't have to accept this. You know, it, it doesn't take six years to turn a program around. And, 
it's not okay to win on average one game a year, <laughs> especially when one of those is usually an FCS opponent. You know, it's not okay. And, you know, I, I honestly am thankful that, you know, fans and alumni and the media and, and people are finally, you know, saying our football program can do better. And, and there's starting to be some heat, uh, you know, put on this administration and starting with, you know, Zangers, the athletic director, the coaching staff, because it, it's what we need. You know, there, there should absolutely not be any complacency with, you know, the product that's on the field, the decisions that Zanger has made, you know, twice now hiring football coaches. And, you know, I, I think that we, we may, the change might not come as soon as we like. Obviously, it's going to happen at some point. But, you know, I'm thankful that the tide is turning a little bit and, and people are finally, you know, rightfully holding our, our administration and our football coaches to, to an acceptable standard. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good one. I mean, essentially it sounds like, you know, we're, we're talking about the fan base in general and, and the media covering them in general that, um, you know, that they understand what the really important things it is, um, you know, what those really important things are when we're talking about a, a quality program. Um, in, in all the different sports that we have. So yeah, I, I definitely agree that, that that's a very good thing to be thankful for, that we're not the only ones that are kind of out there anymore really paying attention to this. Um, for me, I think I'm going gonna, uh, I'm gonna to go ahead and start with I'm thankful for the seniors that we have. You know, I'm looking at the three major sports of the, of the university, um, talking about football, men's basketball, and then volleyball. Um, you know, the senior classes we have this year are just phenomenal. To have somebody, um, you know, that represents the university so well in Joe Deneen on the football team, um, who's, who's a Kansas guy. You know, he's the third Deneen family member that played football for Kansas, represent, rep, represents the university so well. You know, came, came through the struggles that he had last year being injured and came back for one final campaign through. His, his brother is actually here as a member of the, uh, the football team as well. So we'll have another Denis next year. Um, but, you know, he's such a, such a, a high-class guy, such a quality uh, player, a great representative of the university. Um, you know, jumping over to basketball, Svi and Devontae Graham, you know, we've had some really, really good classes, uh, really good senior classes, you know, that have just kind of really stuck out to me. But, I, you know, I, I think when we get to those senior speeches, um, you know, we're, we're going to say that those are, are some of the best we've ever heard. Devontae Graham, um, just the way that he carries himself, uh, you know, and, and the way that he represents the university, again, is just phenomenal. And, and Svi, I mean, he's been, you know, he's, he's really a, a, a professional when it comes to this. He's been on so many different basketball rosters, seen so many different things, and brings just a, a breadth of experience to the team. Um, and then finally, volleyball, you know, that phenomenal senior class that we have for volleyball, uh, Madison Rigdon, uh, we've got uh, Kelsey Payne, Tori Miller, uh, Kayla Cheadle. You know, we've got we've got, uh, and then and then Gabby Simpson as well. We've got just a, a huge class here of, uh, and I'm sorry, I forgot Taylor Alexander. You know, we have so many volleyball players that have just represented this university for four years. Um, and gosh, I forgot another one, Addison Berry as well. That's a huge senior class. Um, you know, they all came in together. They've got they pushed this volleyball team um, as a class to for, to new heights that they've never reached before. Um, you know, we we saw how much the team missed Madison Rigdon when she was out for those three matches, um, and then coming back against Texas, obviously not not full strength there either. Um, but the way that they again have represented the university so well, 
Um, they've given us something really good to cheer for, really good stories to listen or to hear about. Um, you know, I just I'm really grateful to have all of those seniors there. And then to finally wrap up, the, the other the other thing that I'm thankful for is is just the community we have there at Rock Chalk Talk, and then here on the podcast. You know, to be able to to talk every day about sports uh, for for the teams that I love is just something that you know I don't think I'd be able to get that anywhere else. There's a lot of other sites out there that do that, and I've actually looked at a few of them at times and thought about you know joining a bunch of different staffs, but this was really the only one that kind of felt like it it represented you know the, my my voice and I had the voice that I wanted. Uh, it's it's been great to work with you guys. It's been great to. Uh, to, to work with the readers that we have and, you know, even the, the commenters to get on our nerves sometimes. Uh, it's great to have that community to talk about sports that we all love, um, you know, and being able to start the podcast here, being able to have all the great guests that we've had, uh, just to, you know, call out a few, Jesse Newell and Carrington Harrison, you know, I, I, I never thought when I started this that I would, that I would be able to say that one of my, you know, favorite guys to talk to would be a Missouri grad, a Missouri fan. Um, you know, he's, I'm just grateful to be able to get into this and, and be able to have the, these experiences and, and talk about Kansas athletics as in-depth as we get to and as often as we get to. So, um, any, any other final thoughts, guys, before we wrap up? Fire's anger. <laughs> and I think that's the perfect way to end it. Exactly, exactly. All right. All right, guys. Well, I, I thank you guys for joining me. Derek, you did a great job on your first appearance in uh, grad. It was great to have you back. Uh, it's, it's been a little longer than I, than I think I wanted it to be, but uh, great great to have you guys. And thank you guys for listening. Um, again, have a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, enjoy the holidays, and we will see you guys back here next time on the Rock Chalk Talk podcast. Podcast Network.